Hey everyone, hope you are great. Just wanted to say a massive thanks to everybody that listens and supports us. We really, really appreciate it. We just wanted to ask a really small favor. If you like what we do and the messages that we're putting out there, can you jump into iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a rating out of five, hopefully a five, and also leave us a review. It just helps us to push up the ranks in the podcast and get exposure to more people. Uh, helping us to fulfill our purpose of this podcast to help as many people as we can. Um, And if you don't like us, bugger off and don't leave a review because we don't want you. Nah, just joking. We love you too. Keep listening. Um, Also, if you or a family member is struggling with addiction, uh, we run a treatment program called Connection Based Living and we show people how to transform out of addictive patterns without going to rehab. Um, So if that sounds of interest to you or you just want to connect and talk to someone and find out what you should do next, taking the first step is always the biggest step um, and the most important thing that you can do. So jump on to www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. That's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. And we'll be happy to book in a free call and organize a strategy session or help you in any other way that we can. All right, folks, let's jump into it. everyone um to another episode of real drug talk now today very interesting episode actually because um it's actually been extremely extremely popular on the stats um it's in the top three of all time episodes and it's only been up for a week and um you know we've had a afl player on as well so she's doing well and that was brooke's story um everyone seems to have really loved that um and today it's exciting because we've got Brooke's sister, um, Ashley Wilson on. How are you going, mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. So how did this come about? Did you see the podcast go up with Brooke? And yeah, like how, how did you kind of come about this? Um, yeah, so I saw it on her Instagram and I listened to it. Yep. Um, and then I messaged her and I was like, hey, I want to do that because I know she talks about me a bit in it. Yeah, um, awesome. And she messaged you and yeah. Awesome. And so cool. Like, I love it. And it's, it's part of, like I was explaining to you before we started um, recording, it's part of why I want to do this show is just to get lots of different people's stories out and, you know, sort of encourage other people not to be ashamed of their story and stuff like that. So have you, um, have you ever like talked about your history and past publicly before? No, not at all. I don't think a lot of my friends that I'm friends with now have like any idea about my background. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So how are you feeling? Are you nervous about it or you're, you're okay? Um, or? Yeah, I'm pretty nervous. Okay, cool, cool. Um, well, look, if there's anything that when we're going through this um, that you don't want to talk about, just holler at me and just say, hey, I don't want to talk about that. Um, but... In saying that as well, I think it's amazing and really brave of you to to do it um, before we even get into it because it is a hard thing to talk about. Um, and if you do feel comfortable to talk about it and you know the risks and stuff like that, um, it's amazing because you're right, it does help so many other people like you were explaining to me before. Um, and, you know, um, it's the only way that we're going to break through stigma really, isn't it? By, yeah. to- by talking about it. So... Give us the three-minute snapshot on your story. Um, like, we'll go more in-depth to it, but just give us, like, yeah, the three-minute version and then we can riff from it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, growing up, I was actually really against drugs. Like, I never wanted to touch them. It was, like, anti-drugs. <laughs> um, and then, I, I don't know, I met some friends. I was going out all the time, started using, like, just for fun. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that was just on the weekends and then we started smoking ice. And then that was just like a weekend thing, but then it became like a Wednesday and then like a Thursday and then a Monday and then just a week. Yeah. Um, I lost my job because of it. Like I quit just 
to literally sit at home and take drugs. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I decided to, that I didn't want to be like that. So I organized to move overseas to America to au pair. So I left for six <laughs> Just months. Just like that, huh? <laughs> yeah, it took me a few months and I was gone. So was, um, that, was that because of like, yeah, like the using of drugs and probably other life circumstances have got out of hand? or was Yeah, that... pretty much. Yeah. I just sort of wanted to get away. I wanted yeah. to go on a holiday, but I was really bad at saving too. So I was like, I'll just work. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, but I ended up like there. Um, when I lived in New York, I only worked like a couple of days a week. So the other half of the week, I would just go out, like use Coke, drink a lot. Yeah. Um, and ended up coming home a lot earlier than I planned. Yeah. Um, so I did that. Then when I got back, I just got back into work and everything. And I was like, good at my job. I was a duty manager in a pub. Yeah. Um, I met a guy and I knew like what I was getting myself into. Like I knew he was into drugs, but I sort of wanted to go back to it in a way. Yeah. Um, so I went back to oh, that. So when, so when you got back from America, you had like a period of time where you didn't use drugs again or you yep. sort of stayed off. Yeah. I was sort of using Coke occasionally, but not ice. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I met a guy and he was well and truly into ice. And I, I knew that going into it and, like, I can't deny that. Um, yeah. And so I got with him, but it was a lot worse than I ever expected. And there was a lot of domestic violence and, um, like, homelessness between both of us and yeah. relationships ruined my family and things like that. And um, then he went to jail and I didn't know what to do. So I actually got worse. Yeah. Um, like I didn't want to sleep or anything like that because I would have nightmares. So yeah. I stayed up for as long as like possible until you would just, you know, and you like fall asleep and you don't dream because it's like yeah. so tired. Yeah. So I would do that. Um, and then eventually I wanted to come home. I missed my family. I was sick of living in places. Um, there was a few people that I hung out with that made some comments that made me want to come home. Yeah. Um, people you didn't expect. Um, and yeah, then I went to rehab for like three and a half months, got clean. I did start off in NA, but left shortly after. Yep. Um, and then I got with a guy that I'd met at NA. Yep. Um, and he was clean at the time, but he's still in active addiction now, which makes it hard. But I um, got pregnant at like six months clean. So wow. yep. <laughs> didn't do recovery right. But yeah, so... Um, I managed to stay clean. It's been two and a half years now, I think. Wow. And I, like, I mean, I didn't do NA. I didn't do, I really don't do much recovery. I just managed to stay clean. Um, I think yep. watching my now ex go through addiction, it was probably like a big, like life-saving thing for me because yep. I never want to be that person again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I've got a 14-month-old single mum but I am probably the happiest I've ever been. Wow. Amazing. So, all right. So there's a lot in that story already. <laughs> I know. So, so, so what was your main kind of drug and poison? It, was it ice that really ice, kind of yeah. brought you to your knees? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, so going back, obviously, you know, we sort of spoke to Brooke and it was just sounded like a crazy kind of upbringing in life. Was, was that largely kind of your story as well? Like growing up? Yeah, so me and Brooke didn't get along as when we were younger. Yeah. I was probably quite mean to her. And I think there's some like really underlying like psychological reasons for that. But um, yeah. yeah, we didn't get along, but we did have a really pretty rough childhood. Like we had a lot of abuse from like dad's side and our stepdad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then mum was always at work. So we were just sort of on our own, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So... So, so that happens. And then what age did you kind of get to when you started? Yeah. Like experimenting with drugs or kind of thinking about, yeah, this like escapism behavior, you know, stuff like that. Um, I wasn't till I was 21, but, um, I started acting out a bit when I was 15, 16. I, yep. um, kind of acting out with boys and things like that. Mum, I almost got expelled, but yep. mum me out of school prior to that. And I moved to my dad's. Yeah. Um, and then I started drinking a lot at 16. And living at my dad's was really hard given our childhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so probably 15, 16, but then there was no drugs until like 21. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like when you were 21, like what 
what drew you into it? Like, was it, was it conscious for you that you might've been escaping like that tough kind of childhood and those tough circumstances or was it more just, you were just having fun and whatever? Um, I think honestly, I was dating this guy and he broke up with me because I wasn't good enough for his family because I wasn't at uni or anything like that at the time. Yeah. And all of his friends used drugs, but he was really against them. So I decided to use drugs with his <laughs> friends to get back at him, I think. Yeah. But I guess there probably was more to it. But at the time, that was pretty much my reason. Like, yeah. I just do it. Yeah. But the wow. more I put into it, the better, I guess, I, it made me feel. Yeah, interesting. And what was it like the first time you used them? Like, can you remember, was it an instant attraction or was it something that took kind of time or? Um, it was an instant attraction to just like party drugs. But ice took me a few times to actually really get into it. Yeah, yeah. So talk us through that progression. So you start drinking, like, yeah, how did you get into using ice? Um, I was going to Rainbow with a friend and yep. she used used to use ice, ice or uses ice, I'm not sure now. Um, and she said, like, we'll get some for Rainbow. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, don't really know what it is because I didn't. Yeah. Um, and we actually tried it before we went and I couldn't get work off for Rainbow. So we had literally like smoked a pipe and then I drove down and quit my job so I could go to Rainbow on the weekend. Um, and yeah, I used it maybe once or twice then. And then I honestly didn't touch it for a couple more months until we went to Matreya, I think. And I used it again there, but then I started to really get into it there. Um, and then coming home, that's pretty much all I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk me through like the situation. I'm interested to hear about you like moving away to America, like you said in the kind of three minute snapshot. Um, a, I love America. Um, I love, I love, um, I love New York. It's it's the best. Um, and one of the things that struck me when I went there was like it was safe and all that sort of stuff. But even though it's like yeah, like illegal and all that stuff, like it is here. Um, maybe just because you're in the city and stuff, but the drug using culture was like really in your face. You know, like there was people using on the street or whatever and you could like see it. Um, yeah, there was just shit going on, shit happening. Um, and, you know, I've heard stories from other people that have used over there and it's just, it sort of seems a bit like crazy over there. I don't know. Um, but as well, you know, I'm interested in this like decision where you just decide I'm just going to, get out of here you know i'm just gonna leave the country and try and start almost like a new life and that's something that is like common in recovery circles that people do um you know i, I remember wanting to do it myself and it's called like a geographical you know like doing a yeah. geographical trying to change your external environment to try and fix what's internally going on so talk us through that like what what happened how did that all come about um I'm trying to remember, to be honest, why I even decided. Um, I actually did it twice. I did it my second round of using to plan to move it, but I didn't. Um, I, I think I just really wanted to get away. Like, cause I, I think, I think my, it was roughly when my sister was in rehab or about to go to rehab. So it was hard for me because I used to visit her a lot when I was using. Yeah. Um, I look back at it now and that was horrible. Like, that would have been so hard for her. Um, but I just, I didn't want to be that person back then. And I was still working. I had gotten a new job and I was sort of into it. And I was like, look, I really want to go overseas. Um, like I want to get away from all this. I want to get away from the people that I hang out with. And I just want to like go away. Yeah. And so I looked up like working overseas jobs and yeah, somehow decided to au pair over there. Um, yeah. Wow. And was that your first time overseas or? anything like that um not my first time overseas but first time since i was a lot younger yeah. but by myself it was yeah yeah and um like did, like what was it like so you get to where did you go first like was it new york or was it i went to minnesota minnesota yeah so what was it yeah. like just getting off the plane not like i assume you didn't know anyone or yeah no so um anyway it was weird i because I, I think it was within like six months, like I said, I'm going and within six months I was gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was a relief to be there. But um, 
I did sort of, I knew I was there for the wrong reasons. Like I wasn't really there to nanny. I was there to have fun because like, that's what you see about America. Like it is a party and yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was scary. Like I didn't know anybody. Um, and then I met the family cause I lived with the family. Yeah. Um, so I met them and like, they were really nice and that was helpful. But then, you know, within like a day or two, I was on Tinder or some dating app, like meeting guys. And I ended up going to like a few universities there and hanging out with people and drinking and not doing what I was supposed to be doing there. <laughs> um, and so, so talk us through that whole experience. Like what happened? You mentioned that you sort of started getting into like partying a bit much there. Um, yeah. Like what, what happened when you're in the States? Um, so when I was in Minnesota, I was just sort of drinking and things like that. But eventually when I moved to New York, I met this girl on an app and like we started hanging out and she was like love drinking and drugs as much as I did. So yeah. it didn't take long for us to figure that out. And then, um, I think I would work like three to four days a week. Yep. And then the other three to four, I would just go stay with her and we would just drink all weekend and go out all weekend. Um, take drugs all weekend. Yeah. Only, I only did Coke over there though. Um, cause it was really, really cheap. Yeah. So, <laughs> just yeah that's the, that's the thing about there, isn't it? Like here, yeah. cocaine's fucking probably the most expensive drug per mm-hmm. like amount that you get. Um, and over there it's like fucking super cheap. <laughs> yeah. It was like a hundred bucks for like, I can't even remember how much now, but like a, a large amount. Yeah. Okay, I just remember being so cheap, so we would just get it all the time. So I ended up making friends with a lot of dealers over there. Um, yeah, like a lot of people that went clubbing and moved around a bit. Yeah. And what made you what made you come back? Um, so because uh, I was au pairing through family. So the first family got a divorce and I didn't really want to stay through the divorce. Jesus. <laughs> And then the second family, the dad was like a little bit creepy and I felt uncomfortable. So, um, and he used to get me really drunk and I I would just go to bed, but he would drink, like stay up late at night drinking with me. So that was weird. But, um, so then I moved to America and then they didn't need an au pair anymore because she was pregnant. Oh, you moved to New York? Yeah, from there. So then she found out she was pregnant. Um... And she didn't need me anymore. And I just gave up. I was like, I'm going home. It had been six months and I was like, I'm over this. Like, I'm not moving again. Yeah. I did intend to stay and do something else, but I didn't, like, I just couldn't get my visa and everything like that together fast enough. So when you say nannying, like, would you just, like, go and live in these people's houses? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, did they ever say anything to you about, like, being out on the co- What? Because you were, like, what, meant to take care of their kids or clean their house and stuff like that? Yeah, take care of their kids. Yeah. Um, so uh, they didn't like because you have time off, obviously. Um, yeah. But the family that I worked for in New York, like that was when I mostly was never really there. Their kids would be at their dad's. Yeah, yeah. So when they weren't there, I wasn't there. Yeah, interesting. So, like, what? Like, and how much do you get paid just to like look after the kids? In um, it's random. Yeah. So because I went through an agency, it was only like two hundred something dollars a week. But then they have to supply like food accommodation yep. Yep. and then a lot of the places they would give you extra or you do extra babysitting or yeah interesting very interesting so so yeah so you came back um and like you didn't you didn't pick up again after that for a little while uh i used coke a little bit when i came back when i could find it yeah um i did drink a lot and i did gamble a lot i yep. had a friend i'm pretty sure and we used coke and um gambled and drank a lot together yeah um so we did that for quite a while and then he moved overseas um and i intended to go with him but decided against it yeah yeah so what's the um so what's the what's the gambling about like how does that play out because you know a few times when i use like ice too much or whatever like i would go to the pokies and all that but you know like I never really struggled with like a gambling addiction. Um, like, tell me about it. Like, how does that happen and play out? I get, it's a hard one for me because gambling was actually the hardest addiction for me to stop. I yep. um, I'm probably only just on two years off gambling, whereas I would be like two years, six, seven months without drugs. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, for me, gambling was an escape. If I thought that gambling was my like safe. So if I wasn't using drugs or drinking, 
I thought I could gamble because it wasn't affecting anybody. Yeah. Like it was sort of like a safe addiction. Um, but it really was an escape for me. Like when I was there, I did not pay attention to anything else going on around me. Like I, I literally was like in the zone. It was just pokies, nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even through rehab, we were allowed our phones and I gambled online through most of it. Oh, like online pokies? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It was like such an escape for me and it was such a hard addiction. Like even now for me to go out to dinner at a pub is really difficult because there's always pokies there. Yeah. So you like want to go to the pokies when you go out for dinner at a pub? Mm. Yeah. And then I end up there for like hours spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars on the pokies. Like some nights I would drop like a grand, two grand. Just and what, what happens? Like, do you get like a feel? Like, what's it about? You, you mentioned kind of escape. Like, is that all it is? Do you get like a feeling or like, what is it about it? You definitely get a feeling. Like, I think it's when you start to, because I, I never really won that much either. So I don't even know how. <laughs> yeah. But like, I don't when, think anybody does. I know. When I did start to win though, um, it was a bit of a feeling. And then you would get up high and you'd be like, well, how much more am I going to win? um before you kind of yeah it was it was like a rush so it was literally like using drugs like you would just get this rush of like like i'm winning or like am i gonna win or yeah yeah i know when i've played them you do get that sort of excitement i guess it is like not even when you win but just if you get like a feature you know like everything's about getting a feature yeah it's so fun (laughs) so so that's interesting as well. And and you would do that to the point where you would do them on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was at the footy last, I think it was, no, it wasn't last year, maybe the year before that. I, I don't know. I can always remember it, right? It was like I'm a mad Richmond supporter. It was Richmond versus Collingwood. And it was a close game. And there was like quite a few people there. Um, and this fucking guy was like, it was a great game. Like everybody was into it. And this guy was just sitting like two rows kind of to the left of me, just a little bit in front. And he just like had his phone in front of his face and he was just doing like online pokies. And I remember just thinking, that's fucking weird. What are you doing, dude? It is weird. Yeah. But does it, is it, so is it like still the same thing? And is that like a big problem? Do a lot of people do that? Um, I, I don't be interested to see how many people are doing it now that all the pokies closed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of people gamble online if they can't gamble, um, in like at the pokies or like um, horse racing and things like that. I know a lot yeah. of people get into that, but it is so it's not as much the same because there's no like lights and noises. Yeah. But um, I guess it's just something to do to like fill that need for the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um. So. So. Would it be fair to say that? since kind of would you say even at 16 when you were kind of saying that that's when you started drinking a little bit like we you say that you would drink more than kind of normal at 16 like we we or was it just like every now and then just for fun or whatever um it was probably a lot more than normal <laughs> yeah so, um, so since kind of 16 you just you constantly had this addictive pattern kind of running mm. through your life even if it wasn't with one particular drug it was yeah. across a range of them yeah so yeah, it's probably like relationships in a way i guess I, i've never been single this long <laughs> so that's interesting like can you tell me a bit about that because that's something else that we haven't really talked a bit about um yeah like when you say is that just like problematic relationships or or do you feel like you need kind of a relationship or like what is it about that um a bit of both so none of my relationships have really been good yeah uh, and i think <laughs> something about like uh you know wanting to help somebody thinking you can save them a lot of my yeah. relationships are that. um but i've never i've been single eight-ish months eight months i think and this is the longest i've probably been single since i was like 16 17 wow I, it's that feeling of uh, being needed, I think. Yeah. Like yeah. having someone there and uh, that person that they want you. Yeah, they just... Yes. That's it. No, it's, it's interesting. And it's good that you talk about it because you know what? Like through the um, 
the treatment program that we have and just through working with people over years and years and heaps of my mates and stuff. Cause that's a thing for like guys as well, you know, um, relationships is like such a massive thing. And so many people talk about that kind of privately, but when they're telling their stories, they don't really delve into that. Um, mm. And it is like this kind of internal feeling um, from what I can tell and from what you've just said of, yeah, like wanting, wanting to kind of be loved or feeling needed and, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Validation too. Yeah. I think a lot is uh, confusing like sex and love. Yeah. Comes from my childhood, I know that. But um, yeah, that was probably like one of my biggest problems through addiction was like, you thinking that if I use sex, I would get love out of it and I didn't and I would turn to something because I wasn't getting what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. And um, like, I don't know if I can ask you these sort of tougher questions, but yeah, you mentioned that you're in that relationship where there was a lot of like domestic violence and stuff like that. Um, and you don't have to kind of go into the ins and outs if you don't want to, just tell me to, to chill. Um, but I, I think it's just interesting in it because it's, a hard conversation to have because obviously it's so um, it's such a big thing in our society at the moment. And there's so many women out there that are experiencing it. And we know that from all the stats and all the stuff that the government's trying to do to raise awareness and put messages out. Like what happens in a domestic violence relationship? Like, you know, because to most people you think like they think, how could someone just, kind of put up with that situation like why wouldn't they just just leave like can you do you feel comfortable just like talking us through that a little bit yeah, it's fine um so like to explain i guess from the start you know like if they are a nice person and this is the hardest thing for me i think with this person still to this day is that they were two different people like for me they were this really really nice person when he was clean and sober mm. um but on drugs i it was somebody i didn't know and it was like I loved one half of him. Um, and I think, you know, at the start, like, that was super sweet. And it just started off with little things, like little arguments, um, like yelling. Um, what else was it? There was, yeah, there was a lot of yelling, going through my phone. Um, a lot of the time he would, like, go into my bank account, still not take all my money. And um, he sold my phone a few times for drugs, like things like that. So that, um, like, ownership feeling. Yeah, so just like kind of control, like controlling yeah, you. Controlling, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it eventually got bad. So it went from just yelling to um, strangling. Wow. Um, to like hitting like in the back of my head, sort of places that would never be seen. Um, I think there was a few times where he hit me with a hammer like back here or like on my, or back behind my ear or on my arm. Um, and yeah, a lot of that like, and so we used drugs together and a lot of the time I didn't want to use to the level that he was using and he yeah. would hurt me if I didn't. So he would like knee me in the stomach or hit me or like belittle me and yell at me in front of people. And um, that's when it got real bad. Like there would be people in the car or people there and he would be like hitting me or degrading me or something like that. And people would just watch. No one said Yeah. yeah. Um, I think like, there's a few reasons why like women don't leave and you know there, there was a few reasons for me like he did threaten me and my family like he did yeah. threaten to and did threaten to hurt my brother and my mom and and obviously if you're experiencing like being physically yeah abused mm. you believe those threats yeah. obviously yeah yeah and um there is also like an attachment to them so there is like like there is a fear of leaving, but there's also this like tiny little hope that they would get better. Like I've yeah. always, like, you know, he'll change, he'll change, he'll get better. Um, but then I did leave at one point um, and I did go back and I nearly died. I like should not have gone back. I know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to leave. And a lot of people that leave do go back and they don't come back from that is what I know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was, like, he completely totaled my car. Like, my car was undrivable by the end of it. Wow. Um, there was so many, like, things that happened. Like, he left me in places that I didn't, like, people I did not know. And, like, we go missing for, like, days and weeks on end and then just, like, appear again. And um, so, yeah, when I did go back, he knew that I wanted to leave. And we were, like, stuck in, he 
kept me locked in this house for like I think it was four or five days and I didn't have any I didn't have anything like other than drugs um and I reached out to my mum and then nobody told me that my mum replied because he'd smashed my phone so I was using another girl's phone and no one had said like you know um your mum's replied to you so I was stuck there another like couple of days and then eventually I was able to get on to my mum and um I remember saying to him like I'm I thought he was asleep and I don't know why I, I know a part of me did this on purpose and it's really stupid because I knew what he was going to do to me but I think I was at the point where I was like just kill me because like you won't let me go yeah yeah I thought he was asleep but I knew he wasn't and I tried to leave like sneak out and I was just gonna run away and he woke up and um like just lost it like I remember he put holes in all the walls he like strangled me till I literally like couldn't breathe like he was throwing chairs at me um like there was people in the house and he'd done it in front of those people a few times and they were like well like what do you want me to do and I was like I don't know how um, <laughs> amazing yeah, he's crazy. strangled me to the point of like yeah I, I thought I was gonna die and he said I'm gonna kill you and things like that and I was convinced that if I didn't go and somehow get out of there like I wouldn't be here today so I managed to get onto my mom and I said to him like I just need to go home and get some clothes like I've been in the same clothes for like five days and you know it was like I love you I promise I'll be back I'll be back I'll be back um and he knew I think he knew that I wasn't coming back but he I don't know he he just didn't force me to stay somehow I convinced him um and I left and yeah I didn't go back I already had a restraining order on him but he hadn't got it yet and um the next day I went to the police and I got another one for everything that he'd done then um mm. and I know a lot of people don't go to the police but I was scared for my family like I wanted to protect them um and I told them where he was and yeah he got 18 months um in jail and he got out in February March and I haven't heard anything since yeah. awesome awesome um and like fucking hell mate thanks for sh thanks for like sharing it and talking about it it's um and and it's not to kind of like bring up the trauma stuff but it's just like i know there's so many like women in particular um listening to this that i talk to um or young women in particular i should say that are go through things like this particularly in that kind of drug using community it is something that kind of goes hand in hand unfortunately sometimes yeah, um and yeah it is it's it is something beyond just just a behavioral thing like there's a lot more to it um and i think people just talking about it you know it really just helps for um other people to get the courage to step out of those situations so has it how do you how did you actually work through that and like or does it still cause pain today or anything like that or um it's a bit i don't know i did i've done a lot of uh trauma therapy and a lot of therapy yeah around it um i did for a long time like have nightmares and um you know i was really really scared that he was going to come after me when he got out like i have yeah. been scared for like two years for no reason yeah. um but there is still the part of me that does genuinely feel for him. Um, it's random because the other day I received a call from the police because apparently he's been missing for a while and they think something bad has happened, but I haven't heard anything further. And um, it's weird because for a long time I thought like I would be relieved if he had died, hmm. but I wasn't. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I've done, I've done a lot of work, like a lot of therapy, but um, yeah. It's still, it's still hard. Like there are still days where like I do get scared and um, there are still things that trigger me, especially in relationships, like the relationship that I was in, there would be things that would trigger me to think, or like he's going to hurt me and he never did, but there, it is one of those things that will probably haunt me forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's that trauma therapy process like like is it hard what kind of stuff do you do is it talkative therapy is there other things involved um so i've done a few different types i've done normal like talking but i just found that that like tormented me because i would have to sit there and tell my story time and time again yeah and i want to talk about it every week yeah um, and all the all the stuff i've read as well on like trauma is that talking therapy is like mm -hmm. very ineffective as well it's like proven to be not doesn't yeah just re-traumatizes you yeah 
So I actually, um, like to be able to talk about it so much now, I did a lot of therapy through, um, I don't know if you know him, Matt Nettleton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt's awesome. We did some stuff together previously. Yeah, yeah. Matt's great. Yeah. I did therapy with him straight out of rehab. Um, and I left after a while and I'm actually doing therapy with him at the moment. Awesome. Um, What did I, I, he does, I can't remember what it's called, but he does tapping. Like, so you tap the, yeah. Um, so you, basically with him, you don't talk about it. You yeah. just look at an image or a picture and you tap it out and it works. Like it worked for me. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. The reason I can talk about it and not be like feel pain. Um, yeah. maybe work through the feelings, the way things make me feel and how to sit with them instead of like fighting that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the Richard's trauma process, I think think i don't know if that's tapping but there's another thing that we've only done one out of three sessions so we just yeah the first time i did it i tried to rush it Mm. Um, i tried to get it all over and done with whereas this time like i haven't seen him for maybe like six weeks i'm just sort of taking it like super slow and just doing it when i'm ready and at my own um so yeah it it takes because there's part of your body that like processes things is like it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you have a big cut on your leg or something like they'll stitch you up, but then it's not like you go to the doctor every fucking week after that, <laughs> you know, you like you give it six weeks and there's kind of healing that happens just from resting and mm. keeping it, nursing it and bandaging it. And it's the same, like, that's what I always try and say to people with all this like emotional stuff and pain and all that kind of jazz is like, it's the same thing. It's, it's not, it's not like you just talk, like have one session with someone and then you talk about things and things change. There's part of it where, you know, you go away and you take care of yourself. You do lots of different stuff and you actually heal as well. And you kind of give time, time with the right interventions and stuff. Um, No, but I do know Matt, that's awesome. Um, And that's for everyone listening. It's Matt from reframe therapies. We're going to get him on. He does a lot of stuff with um, Ryan from the center of healing as well that we've kind of talked about too. So, um, but that's, that's really interesting to hear. So maybe like, so what's, what's the difference been with that trauma since you've like before, like, how did you kind of feel, I guess, like day to day and just all that sort of stuff. And what's been the change that's happened as a result of doing some of that, that work? Yeah. So like for me, my, like you feel it physically. So like all someone would have to do would be to mention like my ex's name and my whole body was shut down. Like, yeah, I was like terrified. Um, Whereas, like, I guess now I don't feel anything. Um, I can look back at what happened to me and it's not happening to me right now. It's, um, you know, it is, like, part of who I am, but it's there in the background. And I can sort of re-watch, like, you know, like a movie of my life and not feel threatened by that or feel scared. And I would, you know, walk around with, like, so much anxiety and always be triggered, always, like, looking over my shoulder, worried. And now I'm... I feel like freer. I just, you know, I don't, I'm not scared all the time. Like I, I'm not full of anxiety. Like I go for walks by myself. I go to the supermarket and I'm not double taking everybody and making sure that like he's there or someone's there and they're going to hurt me. That's amazing. I, that's amazing. It, it's helped so much. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's amazing. So it's, it's funny, right? Cause you said at the start and we'll talk a little bit about this soon, but you said at the start, like, you hadn't done much in terms of recovery, but it actually sounds like you've done heaps, <laughs> you know. I think I did a lot of recovery on myself. Yeah. I didn't do, yeah, the NAA way, I think is yeah. what they kind of drill into in rehab is the way to do it. Yeah. But I didn't. Okay. So, because so, we jumped around a little bit here and it's it's really interesting. So how, like, how did you end up in rehab? Like what point in your story was did you check into rehab? Yeah. So I, oh, you're going, sorry. Sorry. So I was just going to say, was that after that event with the domestic violence or before? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sometime after. So there was a lot of using with him. Like that was to the point where I was using every single day, like every second, every Mm. second day. Um, And yeah, I was like well and truly addicted then. Like I could not go without drugs. Like, and I think that was one of the reasons I did go back to him too, because he was my way to get drugs. 
Um, and that's why I stayed because I needed, I felt like I needed drugs. Um, but once he went to jail, it was a lot harder for me. I felt like I didn't have anybody and I was really like, I was upset that he was gone, but I was really, it was weird. I was still very attached and I, um, I actually saw him in court and it was really, really hard for me because he was saying he was sorry and all these things. And I was like, (laughs) what have I done? Mm. Um, and so when I, left I ended up with it hanging out with a girl that I knew was using and I um yeah just like went and used and that's when I knew that I like needed I felt like I needed drugs to sort of survive at this point um and I would come home and I would go there and I would come back and I would sleep for a couple days and eat and then I would go back to her house and then one day I got my mom's friend to come pick me up because I felt uncomfortable where I was And she told my mum that she was coming to get me because I'd been using. And I got home and my mum was like, you can't be here if you're on drugs. And so I left. And I was staying at this girl's house for, it must have only been like a month. or I think it was three weeks, I think it was. And I like went completely off the rails. Um, So this all happened within like a short time. But I think I was living there for maybe like a week and a half, two weeks. And I started hanging out with some really bad people. I think most of them are in jail now. Mm. Um, just I, like, I didn't care. Like I had no value for my life. I had no, like, I did not care what happened to me. Like I was one of those people that was either going to die or end up in jail. Like I was literally like, I'm done. Like I couldn't care less about myself or yep. any point. Like I just wanted it to end. So I just kept hanging out with these people and um. One of them I'd actually known for quite a while. It was someone that, like, I used to, like, hang out with. Um, And then we sort of, like, just crossed paths again. And it was weird for me because one day we were at his house and I'm, like, still to this day I'm convinced that they locked me in the house and were going to hurt me, but I don't think they were. I was so Mm. paranoid. Um, And um, him and, like, his friend was, like, my dealer. Um... And he looked at me and he's like, you look really uncomfortable. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm sitting down, like, you know. And he's like, no. He's like, I mean, like, in this world. And I was like, it took me, like, a couple of hours and I was like, I get what he's saying. Like, I don't belong here. And he knew that. I knew that. Like, I didn't – I was scared all the time living the life I was living, you know. Like, it wasn't who I am. And um, I'd lost everything at this point. I'd lost my sister – lost my mom. I had nobody. I've ruined relationships during that time of using that I will never get back. Like that I've lost friends that will never forgive me for the things I said and did. Um, and I text my mom and I just wanted to go home. Like I literally, just, I just wanted to go home and I just wanted to eat and I wanted to feel safe. And um, my mom said, the only way you can come home is if you agree to go to rehab. And at this point I was like, I like, I just want to come home. So I said, yes. But that weekend before I, there was like three days between when I got home and when I was going to rehab yep. and I was psycho. Like I was screaming in the middle of the supermarket. Like <laughs> I didn't want to go, but I knew that I had to go and I didn't pack until like 20 minutes before I, the bus came. Cause they picked me up. Yeah. Um, I didn't pack until like 20 minutes before I went to rehab. Like I, I knew in my heart that I needed to go, but there was a, just like a tiny part of me that wanted to hold on to the using life. And I was like, you know, like I can do this, like I can go to jail, like, but I knew that that wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Um, and so, because this is what I like really think about rehab, right? And it sounds like it was perfect for you in that kind of situation was that, you know, for, for the actual like recovery stuff, like you're talking about, it doesn't really happen in rehab, <laughs> but rehab's kind of this, it's really good if you like, cause I was very similar to you. I was just kind of a runaway train at that point in time. And it's just really, really good to give you kind of a circuit breaker and some structure and, you know, get you to kind of rethink things a little bit. But when I look back on my kind of rehab journey and from helping others, like I didn't really do any of the healing um, and treatment, I guess you could call it like, in the rehab, I was just kind of de-crazying in there or something, you know? Is that, yeah. like, would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, so, look, my rehab experience was not one to go by. I actually was <laughs> sleeping with one of the workers to... 
So <laughs> the rehab I went to has now shut down because my mum put in a complaint to the health commission. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know what? Like, apparently it's um, quite. Well, this is the thing. Like, it's it's hard. So I have to I have to taper this a little bit because I don't want to give every single body in the rehab industry a bad name because it's not mm. true. Um, but like there is a lot of crazy shit that goes on in rehabs that really needs to change and yeah, yeah that's happened quite a few times like i've heard quite a few stories like that so you know it was definitely a deflection to focus on anything but what i was there for a hundred percent yeah mm. yeah so and but at the time when you were kind of like now you can look back and say that's pretty like to be <laughs> going through a rehab and sleeping with one of the workers or whatever like you know um, that that's kind of, you can look back at that and go, that's a pretty sort of out there thing to be happening when I'm meant to be in treatment and meant to be like turning my life around. But at the time, was that just like kind of normal, just like part of the craziness of your life? Yeah, that was like, like I said, I always, if I wasn't in a relationship, I always had a guy like yeah. to talk to you or to sleep with. So for me, it was, it was just normal. Like, cause I didn't have drugs. I didn't have alcohol. I eventually had my phone, but um, I didn't. And so, yeah, I turned to the only other thing that would like take everything away. Yeah, yeah. So how long, because people are always curious and I know that you're sort of saying your rehab experience wasn't anything to go by. Um, and again, everybody like this, this program is called Real Drug Talk. We want to just like uncensor, tell everyone's stories. And if that's your story, that's your story. Like what? <laughs> what did you do in rehab? Like, what is rehab? Like, what do you actually do in rehab for everyone wondering out there? Cause that's the thing that I always used to get asked and people always ask me after listening to the show is like, what is rehab? You know? So, um, God, I guess, what do we do? We, it's a lot of walks, a lot of yoga, um, like mindfulness. Uh, we did do therapy once a week, um, like with a psychologist. Um, and then there's a lot of like group work. So a lot of working on like finding out what addiction actually is and like, Mm. you know, how you can become an addict, like being born with it and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of like talk about like how we got there, like self work. We did like art therapy, music therapy, just a lot of things to try and I guess get us clean. But for me, like rehab was just a place to go to be away from. Yeah. Um, people that I was friends with. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And then, so what did you do after that? Because you mentioned, I imagine that rehab was kind of like a 12-step rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say that, they, um, 12-step rehabs are, are rehabs that follow the philosophy of the 12 steps and kind of, um, you know, recommend that people go to 12-step fellowships and all that sort of stuff. Um, is, so is that what you did? Yeah, so when I got out, I did go to meetings. Um, I did for quite a while. I haven't been, I think I went to maybe one or two last year to try and help my ex. Um, but I sort of, yeah, I stopped going. I started the steps. I did half of step one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I, at the start, like, they do drill it into you. Like, you have to go to meetings. You need these meetings, like this and that. But then I found that, I didn't need them. Like, you know, I would miss yep. a meeting and I was fine. Yeah. Um, and I would have like a drink and I was fine. Or like, I don't know, they do drill it into you a fair bit that you do have to go to meetings. And look, they did help me at the start. They did make me, I did develop connections and I do still have friends that are in the rooms. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, yeah, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. No, that's, it's, it's good. And, and this is, again, this is what we're doing on this show. And I love that you're so just open and honest with your story and everything that's happened because, because I guess for so long, like NA and AA is a great thing because it gives a lot of people a lot of places to go and it helped mm. me turn my life around. And, you know, I don't agree with everything that's there, but, you know, definitely it was a great place for me as well and all that stuff. But because um, there's that anonymity side of it, which is important and has its reasons for that as well. Like there's kind of, it's almost like people kind of know about rehab, but they don't know about 
like recovery and recovery circles and what it's all about and what ha what happens and that's what we want to do we we want to get all these different people's experiences just honestly what they've done in their journey and like what's kind of helped them mm. so that you know people actually understand kind of what they're getting into before they go and get help and recovery and stuff like that so so what do you think fundamentally has been the things in recovery that have helped you to get better and and change and all that sort of stuff even if you haven't done things yeah in a formal way through whatever you know yeah um so a big one for me is my family um as sorry. we can hear in the background there yeah. <laughs> awesome um, so like a big thing for me throughout my entire recovery has been my sister um, obviously I watched her journey. I watched her go through recovery. Um, and like hands down, she is the most amazing person in the world now. She says um, the same thing about you. <laughs> I know, but you wouldn't even know, like if you meet her now, you have no idea like the shit she's been through. Yeah. Um, so I mean, cause I know she is very big on AA and NA. So a lot of the times I did go to meetings with her or, um, you know, that was something really special for us was like being in an NA meeting together. Yep. Um, because that was something we never thought would happen. Like we've never been close. Um, so for me, like a big thing was my family. Um, just seeing like what I put them through, um, knowing how much I hurt them and that I didn't want to be that person to them again. Yep. Um, and like I did, I got pregnant at, I would have been six months, maybe seven months. Yeah. Um, and I like I'm not saying go out and get pregnant and it'll keep you clean, um, <laughs> but it did it did help me stay clean. Like you know, yeah. I I would be lying if I said I don't think about using now. Like I do sometimes. Yeah. But I don't use. And I think for me that was another thing. Like every single day I'd wake up and it was a choice. I would you know wake up and I would say no I'm not going to use today, or yeah. I'm not gonna think about it. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Love it. Don't be sorry. It's it's actually the ears must have been burning. <laughs> um oh, look at that for the people watching. Absolutely beautiful. Hey, looks like you, mate. Hey, everyone says that. All right, back to gratitude. <laughs> um that, that wasn't yeah. that wasn't planned either. How good's that? Um another thing for me and um you know, without going into their story, it was like my son's dad is still in active addiction. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, tried and failed many rehabs and it is sad, but I watched him use throughout our entire relationship. And for most people, like they would relapse. And mm. I don't know how the hell some days I didn't relapse with him. Like, yeah. Um, but I watched him become a different person and I watched how he treated me on drugs and I watched how he was when he was clean. Yeah. And for me, like watching someone else go through addiction other than you know like i watched my sister but i didn't care at the time sort of thing like, yeah close. but watching someone like you love go through addiction and watching how much it changes them and hurts them it truly makes you not want to use like mm. i yeah i would do anything to never be that person again um so i think that and i i mean i did a lot of therapy like i yeah and um I just, I did talk like when I was feeling sad or when I struggled and I was having a bad day, like I, I always had somebody to talk to. Mm. And I think that's, you know, NA and AA are good for that. Like I did meet a lot of people that have helped me. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I don't agree with some of the ways they do things. So yeah, yeah I guess like, you know, it's, yeah, it's my family. My, my, if I didn't have my family, I wouldn't bother being clean. And that's, you know, my mum, like, yeah knowing how much money she had to spend on my rehab, those sorts of things. Like I would hate for her to turn her back on me again because yeah, yeah it, having no one is really hard. And then like once you recover, like see recovery, once you start to get clean, you get this like feeling back in your body. Like I, th I remember people talking about it and I was like, that's ridiculous. But I remember waking up and being like, oh my God, like it's sunny. It's so pretty. Like you can hear the birds, like the trees look nice outside. Yeah. Like you just start to notice like, there's so much like light in the light in, in your life. Yeah. Um, and there's so many better things than chasing drugs and boys and all those sorts of things. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, it's, it's amazing. I, I must admit, I feel emotional like listening to your story. And like, you know, the same thing when I, when I spoke to Brooke actually as well. Like it's just, um, yeah, you've been through so much and you just sound really wise beyond your years. You know, like how, how old are you? Um, 26. 26, wow. Amazing. Like you've been through so much in your, in your life, 26 years. It's, uh, okay. it's insane. Um, so, what, so what age were you when you, when you checked into rehab? Um, like 24, 23 or something? Yeah, I know it was, I turned 26 like a couple months ago. I think I would have been 23. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so just to kind of explain things, like what's your life like now? Like, you know, and I know we sort of chatted about this off air. Like, do you... Um, you know, because obviously you're talking about being clean and stuff like that. Do you do you still like drink now, or you know, do you do like normal stuff like that? Um, do you like do you have like normal friends? Like, how have you you reintegrated back into the world? You know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. So my life now is and normal is in inverted commas because nobody in the land or the world is uh, normal. Yeah. Um. So for me now, I do drink. Um. Very, very rarely. Um, I might have a glass of wine like here and there. Um, At the start, when I did first get out of rehab, I did drink a bit more than necessary, like than I should. Um, But I quickly stopped that. Um, Yeah, so now I guess I do have a drink from time to time. Um, I do still struggle with mental health. Um, I have postnatal depression. Uh, I got diagnosed earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and I am on medication for it now because um, I I just couldn't I couldn't do it without it honestly. Yeah. Um, but my life now is really really fucking boring. I really <laughs> I I mean I do I have normal friends like a lot of my friends are mums. Um, yeah. But yeah I you know I go out for dinner with my friends and we have a drink. I um, you know my friends I'm talking about probably don't know any of this backstory and I'm sure. They're <laughs> some point um but yeah like my life it's it's you know normal like I've got friends that aren't addicts I've got friends that use drugs recreationally and I don't have any part in it and they don't do it around me yeah um but yeah a lot of my friends now are mums and you know a lot of my friends are I guess for me like I find people that have goals I don't you know go be friends with somebody that I know is going down a bad path I I'll just try and have people around me that I want around me and like my son. Mm. I think um, having a kid makes a big difference in like who you have around you. Yeah. But yeah, I study one day a week at the moment, um, which I'll be finished at the end of the year so I can hopefully study further next year. And, you know, I'm starting to like tick off goals that I set for myself when I was in high school that I never got around to. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, you know, my sister is now my best friend. And <laughs> if you knew us like 15 years ago, that was not a chance in hell. Like yeah. he is the like best person in my life. I'm so close to my mum. I moved back home um, to help, like get mum to help me when I became a single mum. Yeah. Um, so I live at home at the moment and through COVID. Yeah, um, yeah my relationship with my mum is like the best it's ever been. Um yeah, like I'm just like happy now. Like I, yeah. I don't worry. It's amazing. So can can I just ask because it's such a thing that people um, in recovery circles are just so used to hearing that you know you can never drink and use ever again and you know all that sort of stuff. So yeah, um, like what's it like when you have a drink? Like do you feel like you're gonna run out the door and skull a bottle or like yeah? <laughs> um, at the start, it was. Like, I think yeah. for everyone getting out of rehab is hard. Like, there were times when I'd message dealers or call dealers and I was ready to go. I think yeah. that everybody in early recovery. Yeah. Um, and I did have a big... I was saying drink the entire, my entire pregnancy. So, mm. I was nine. I don't think I even had my first drink until he uh, three or four months. So, you know, there was like a year of it where I didn't touch anything. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, but now when I have a drink, it's just like having a drink of water, like I don't, you know, I don't get this urge, like, oh my gosh, I, I need drugs or I need another glass or yep. I want to go out and party. Like I just have a drink um, and I'm fine. 
I, mm. yeah. Okay. It's yeah. really interesting. And, and that's the, that's the thing that I've kind of seen with people as well. So, you know, like, and, and we've helped lots of people achieve that as well, you know, and I've sort of come to the belief through reading, you know, research and meeting people like yourself and, you know, just so many different people is that, you know, addictive patterns. Like I don't even like to call it like addiction anymore, you know, like it's just like kind of addictive patterns form um, and they're something that everybody does and it's kind of like all on a spectrum, you know what I mean? Like, and if you have all this underlying stuff going on underneath the surface, like what you talked about, um, you know, there's lots of trauma or there's, um, you know, negative psychological and emotional um, patterns that have built up over a period of time, or you're going through like financial stress or, or whatever it is that's going on in your life underneath that's kind of negative that that is kind of the thing that is like throwing petrol in the fire and makes that addictive pattern kind of get out of control and like go, turn into a full-blown addiction. And then yeah. it just like perpetually kind of gets on top of itself. And, and that's what I've seen with people that come into recovery that do want to go back to just living like inverted commas, like a normal life and socially drink in the future and stuff is that like what you said, like, if you actually go and, and you do get completely clean and sober for a period of time, you mm. know, a, a decent period of time, a nine months to a year to 18 months. But in that time, you actually work through some of that stuff that you talked about, like the, the traumas and the, and the different stuff underneath the surface that is like the petrol. Then yeah. if you actually work through that and you get some peace and contentment within yourself and some healing, then when you do go back and you socially drink, pretty much like what you're explaining, you don't have that thing that's in you that's like, I fucking need to go and do this, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know, that might not be true for everyone, but that's definitely, you know, something that we teach people. And I've found that it helps people get into recovery in the first place a lot more because they think, oh, fuck, my life's not over. Um, yeah. And they also kind of think well, I can get better and I can achieve this. Um, and yeah, we've just seen it work for so many people. I, I don't know. Do you kind of agree with that? Was that like sort of your experience? Yeah. Um, I think you do. I Like for every, everyone that I find that has an addiction or anything like that, there's always trauma behind it. Yeah. And unless you like face that trauma head on, you're not going to get better. Yeah. And you say like, I'll just have one drink, but eventually you're going to, you know, run from that. But it, like, it's true what you're saying. But for me, like if I'm stressed or I'm sad and think that I don't drink because I know that exactly. it's going to send me down a bad path. Like I only drink when I feel up to it. So it's sort of, you know, it's not something I do now to take the pain away. It's something I do because I feel like it. So interesting you say that. And sorry, everyone, because you probably heard me say this before. But, you know, like I think I said maybe on the last podcast or one before that is that that's. I think that's the societal shift that needs to happen um, is that we need to start viewing drugs and alcohol um, a little bit like physical health. You see? Mm. <laughs> so cute. Just <laughs> um, is, is, yeah, we, we need to start thinking about mental health and drugs and alcohol rather as like we do physical health, you know, and what yeah. I say to people, it's so good what you just said then. What I say to people is that, you know, if you're, if it's five degrees outside, you're probably not going to go outside with no jumper on because you're going to mm. fucking catch a cold. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, we get that. But for some reason we don't understand that like on mental health, on the mental health sides of things is that if you're under financial stress, if you've got just gone through broken relationships, if you're, mm. yeah, got mental health stuff going on, whatever it is, then it's probably not a good idea to drink or drug because, you know, that's how the physical um, addictive patterns fall, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so interesting. Um, so what would you like? I've really enjoyed like listening to your story and talking to you about it all. Um, it's amazing. And um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on and doing it. Okay. What, would you, what would you say to people like listening to this that, uh, struggling I know it's a really cliche question um, but yeah that are struggling and thinking about making change unsure about it you know all that stuff like what what would you kind of tell them um, 
honestly just do it like do whatever you have to do to get better um because like there is a better life out there for you and um you know i believe like every single person's here for a reason um and i didn't die through my using and that's a blessing um but there's a reason for that and you know like people out there that are struggling and they want to get help like hold on to that hope and do something with it like go and get help or you know tell somebody that you're struggling um there are always ways to get help and you don't have to go through rehab and you don't have to do the 12 steps like i haven't done my steps and i'm still clean um okay (laughs) but yeah go i would just say go and get help like just tell somebody like and people care and you know there's people um um yeah, like people do care and um, they're not going to judge you. Like I think that's one of the things I found is when I ask people for help, they never turn me down. Yeah. But hold on to that hope of getting better because you will get better and life gets so much better, which is also cliche. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I love it, mate. Well, it's true. It's fucking, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I always say to people as well, you know, like it, it doesn't, you don't have to do it all at once. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to completely change your life all at mm-hmm. once if you don't want to, but just by reaching out and talking to some people and making some steps goes along a very long way. Yeah. Like even just stopping one thing, like, I mean, I didn't stop gambling till I was out of rehab three or four months, yeah. but yeah. Stopping the one thing that's really affecting you first or yeah. Start small. Like you don't have to go in there and cut everything. Just get amazing hey thanks so much for coming on you're an absolute star again and um yeah i'm sure we'll get you back (laughs) thanks for having me